heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them, from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen to the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. The doctor saving lives at your local hospital. The war veteran down the street who risked his lives for our freedom. The police officers and firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur. The creator. The producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. And I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks of the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello, and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and I'm on the line with Christy Porter. Christy, are you there? I am. Uh, wonderful to have you here, Christy. For those of you guys who are uh, regular listeners, you'll notice I'm back at a uh, Starbucks in my car um, because we're, we're traveling and have no signal up here. Um, what I want to do real quick is introduce you to Christy so you know who she is. She is the founder of Signify, which is a marketing and consulting firm, firm for cause-focused organizations. And you even help with, uh, you said, philanthropy for businesses. So what I want to start with is I want to find out what it is that you do now, Christy, why do people come to you and how do you help them? Like what, what's your, uh, your primary, you know, service and stuff that you offer to people? Yeah. Um, thanks. I'm excited to be here. This is fun. Um, so as you said, I'm a copywriter and marketing consultant with cause focused organizations. So I help both nonprofits and, um, social impact companies get noticed and grow through effective marketing and communications. And I also teach um, solopreneurs and small business owners easy philanthropy uh, strategies. So when they're just interested in giving back, not sure how, not sure what they have to give, um, but really want to participate in the issues that they care about, then I help break it down and make it super easy to them. So yeah, I love working with causes, love working with people who are trying to do good. So that's kind of my main area of focus and why people come to me. That's really awesome. I have I have a question for you, yes. um, because the the cause focused organizations and um, and you know having philanthropy, um, I actually discovered in one of my companies that philanthropy was a good marketing um, tactic as well, right? So um, I have a supplement company, um, and one of the most successful programs we have run with our supplement company um, was partnering with a um, with vitamin angels and vitamin angels um delivers vitamins to children in need all over the world um and you know the leading cause of death in children um under the age of six worldwide is a lack of vitamin a right vitamin a is what you know allows your body to fight off infections and things like that um and um what the program we started was for every bottle of supplements we sell, we donate enough, um, we donate enough uh, money to vitamin angels to provide the vitamins for one child for one year. Um, and it actually, it, it saves lives, right? So our, the marketing that goes along with that was buy a bottle, save a life. Um, and we actually, we noticed it increased our sales, but it also, so like ph philanthropy 
is like you you have you get to do good things but it also like it comes back very quickly and i'm curious like like if you see that regularly in the clients that you work with since that's something that you like do professionally yeah i think it's absolutely true first of all you know i think from um an insider standpoint from an employee standpoint we spend so much of our time working. And so I think more and more people want to know that they're working for somebody that's doing something good and not just trying to make a buck. Um, so they're excited about that. And if they're gonna spend all of their time in some place, you know, 40 plus hours a week somewhere, then um, yeah, then they want it to feel good um, as well as earning a paycheck. So I think from an inside standpoint, it works well from that. From an outside standpoint, I think it's just, you know, what you described. Um, we have so many options these days. So if I have the choice to buy vitamins from you that also have a social impact component, or I can buy something similar from somebody else that doesn't, it's just such an easy sell, um, which is one of the reasons I like it so much because most people are going to navigate toward um, the one that has the social impact component. And there was a study done, um, Cone Communications does a great study every year, and one of their last studies, I'm going to quote this poorly, I'm sure, but it was something like almost 80% of people um, were interested in social impact companies and social impact pro products, and they wanted to know that companies stood for something and didn't just sell something. Um, so I think those kinds of numbers are really hard for anybody to ignore. And for those of us who either own our own businesses, have a small business, I think if you have a small business, um, and I guess in large businesses too, but retention, finding qualified candidates, those are often issues um, that bosses have to deal with. And so if you can offer that, something like that, that maybe um, is another value add along with your benefits package and everything else, and people can really engage and then customers will engage in the mission as well. They may not initially come to you for that, um, or they may. Some people like me, that's who, who, the, who we want to support. Yeah. But, um, for the general consumer, if they're out there searching for vitamins or something, then you know if they stumble across your website and they have the chance to buy something quality, something they can afford, but it also has a social impact component. I just think it's such an easy sell, and we're in a we're in an age where we have the privilege and ability to do that. And I think more and more people. Um, are looking for that aspect as well, especially led by millennial generation. And, but now I think everyone's trickling into it. I'm certainly not a millennial, but that's how I lean as well. And I think there are a lot of us that do. So I think it answers um, a lot of questions and checks a lot of boxes for a lot of us. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I, I just barely scraped the teeth on not being millennial because I graduated college right before social media hit. So yeah. I think that disqualified me as being a millennial but the uh, uh to to that point um i've just i've noticed the uh the social impact is it's something that i like i i i recommend all of my clients consider it um because it has a positive impact on the bottom line and it also has a positive impact on like your, your business is having a it has a larger impact on on um the world right because most of us when we're building businesses we're doing because we want to make a we want to make a legacy we like want to do something um so if we can we can create something at a profit and you know have a profitable business that impacts my clients lives and my customers lives and also has a uh a social impact like you're saying um i think there's it's it's one of those it's one of those really easy win-win-win situations and because of things like the internet there are so many um, so many social impact organizations you can 
find. Right. right? And like for like, I, I don't know what it was like, you know, before, cause I didn't run a business 20 years ago, but I would imagine that it wasn't as easy as like, we can just take our financial statement at the end of the month and be like, here's how many things we sold and go on to vitamin angels website and make a quick donation. Right. right? It's not, it's not hard. It doesn't take any extra time or effort from our business. Um, and it has an impact. Yeah. has an impact on the people that we're uh, we're working with so it, and it has an impact you know like you said all the way around employees that we hire the uh um the customers that buy from us you know the marketing messages that we have um and the uh, the kids that actually are benefited from that um yeah, absolutely and i think we just don't live compartmentalized lives anymore i mean the internet has you know, for good or bad, taking that from us as well. So it's the same thing. It's, I spend, you know, whether I'm, again, working, I'm a solopreneur, whether I'm a solopreneur, I have a, employees, we're all checking our email at different times, we're working at different times, um, all the lines are blurred. So it makes sense that you would want to spend your time um, giving from a different standpoint rather than just that happens on Sundays or one hour a week when I volunteer or something like that. We just want really integrated lives. And I think we have so many opportunities to do that now. So, um, yeah. you know, even as so many people that I talk to that run very small businesses or just one person like me, they're like, I want to give back. How do I make that happen? Because we're just not content to say, I'm going to wait until I have a million dollars or, you know, whatever goal they have for themselves and then start giving back. They're passionate about something right now. So what can they do right now? Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm a huge fan of the slice a portion of the profits and allocate it towards a uh, towards something and it doesn't have to be big either. It can just be a, you know, a portion that makes a difference. And then um, it's something that it happens every time you make a sale. So it's not like it's coming out of your pocket. Right? Like, um, it's something that you can just build into your business model. Yeah. Um, and I really like that. And, uh, you know, one of the things we, we put on all of our stuff is where you shop matters, right? And it's got a little link to it and talks about, you know, here's, here's why, why where you shop matters. And we, we use a little bit, little bit of storytelling, which as a copywriter, I, I'm sure, you know, anytime you get a chance to tell a good story, um, <laughs> it always helps sales. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, the greatest, you know, we complain about a lot of things we don't have control over, but I mean, much like you just said, the, the power that you have every day is your purchase power. So, you know, who are you supporting in that way whenever, um, you know, we talk about voting and voting is great, um, but it happens in cycles and it happens at certain intervals where I go out and spend money daily at coffee shops, meeting with people or on shoes or clothes or something else. So we have the power to choose where we want to put that, those dollars and who we want to see supported in that. Absolutely. So I want to change gears a little bit and talk about your origin story, right? Every hero has their origin story. It's where you started to realize that maybe you were different, that maybe you had superpowers and maybe you could use them to help other people. Right? What started you on this uh, sort of hero's journey, so to speak, of becoming an entrepreneur and starting your um your is it signify uh yeah. yeah starting signify um so i started here i'm here in atlanta and um i started working at a boutique pr firm um not long after college and i really enjoyed that we worked with a lot of restaurants and that was really fun and different in a really interesting um small business environment and 
we had one day we had a journalist that was supposed to write about our clients, um, one of our clients, and they fell through at the last minute because they had a death in the family. So I was, I've always been a writer since I was a kid. So they said, can somebody at the firm, um, you know, this has fallen through, but we'd still like to do the story. Can somebody at your firm just handle the article? And so since I was basically the in-house writer, um, I ended up doing it, turning it in. They liked it. That led to more stories. And as a kid, I'd thought about being a journalist um, for a hot minute, but kind of moved on to other things. And then at that point, when I started doing the freelancing and started working more for them, I thought, oh, yeah, people pay you to write words. And it, so it was at that point, that was my first like freelance opportunity. And I was like, oh, this is fun. This is different. And I could do some more of this. Um, you know, extra money is a great thing on the side. And it was kind of a yeah ability to be able to flex those muscles and continue writing and writing about different things that I um other than restaurants which is fun and that's primarily what I was doing but of course we're all multi-passionate individuals so I got to write some more lifestyle stuff in that way and so that was kind of an eye-opening moment when I took that on um and continued doing that worked for or freelanced for a couple other magazines here locally um while I was at the PR firm and then a couple of years after I left there, um, it was a really, like I said, it was a fun and different environment and people were like, oh, you're always going to restaurant openings and Atlanta's a great food town and stuff like that. So it was really fun and interesting, but at the end of the day, it wasn't really fulfilling to me as a person. That's where restaurant industry, it was sort of something I fell into and wasn't something I was super passionate about. And, you know, I was like, well, this is really neat, but my, like, my weekend doesn't live on and die on the fact that your happy hour sign was or was not delivered. And so it was yeah. just, you know, it was something I wanted more of. And so I left there um, and they, I became a freelance writer. I did that for a couple of years there um, and they were still my primary client, but I got to take on other work and meet other people and do other kind of interesting things. And through that process, um, one of my friends worked for, um, or did the PR for an environmental foundation here. And so I freelanced for a couple of years and then she said, they're actually looking for somebody in house to be the director of communications. And so, I went and worked. I'd never worked um, at a foundation before, never worked in the environmental space. So that was really cool and um, got to flex some new muscles and learn some different things. And so I did that for a couple of years, freelancing on the side as well, um, just taking things by request and referral. And then um, from there, my friend recruited me to my last full-time job, um, which is the director of event marketing for um, a Christian event and um, curriculum company. So I was there for almost six years. Again, freelancing on the side. I was volunteering a lot. I've been volunteering um, for years and years and um, grew up going to church. So you were always volunteering whether you signed up for it or not. And yeah. um yeah, and so I was working there and kind of had all these things going and really loved playing in all the different spaces. And that's when, in 2006, I got introduced to the social justice community through the issue of human trafficking. And so my world just kind of stopped at that point. Um, certainly knew there was lots of bad stuff happening out there, but didn't realize what how massive everything was and what was going on. And so, um, I just kind of stopped and started volunteering in a lot of that space and putting really a lot of time and energy there and really wanted to play there more. Um, and so it was like, I couldn't do it with the full-time job and the other freelancing and things I was doing, but I really wanted to be in the social justice space more. And then in 2012 is when I got introduced really to the social enterprise model um, of the intersection of cause and commerce. Um, so for example, like 
Toms or Warby Parker or something like that where um yeah, Mich- we're in Warby Parker. What? Oh, you are? Yeah. I have one Warby. Too. <laughs> um and so that sort of rocked my world again. And so I was trying to figure out what to do next. And I was in a I was in the PR industry, um, working with restaurants right as chefs started becoming rock stars. And we really kind of started, you know, thinking about all those shows they started being on and really elevating that over um, the restaurant itself. And then I was in the environmental space when green really started taking off. Um, And so got to learn those. And then when I saw the social enterprise model, I said, this is the next big thing. I think this is where business is headed. How can I be in this space? Because it was, I love nonprofits. I've worked at nonprofits. There will always be nonprofits. Most of my clients are nonprofits, but the ability, like we were just talking about to, um, to not always ask for money, but to sell things that people wanted, really wanted, and to be able to do good with that was just sort of revolutionary at the time. And I thought, this is where everything is headed, and I really want to be in this space. And so, um, so that was sort of the impetus of where all that came from. And then um, went back to all the people I'd been volunteering for and giving out free advice for and <laughs> working with on the side, as well as my employer, and said, hey, I think I want to go do this. Um, you know, what do you guys think? And so that was how I got all my first clients. They were the people that had been with me and kind of seen me and tested me and um, let me play in their space and um, were gracious to teach me along the way. And so that was kind of the birth of Signify. That was just over three years ago. So you've got quite a, uh, like a roller coaster past going all over the place in different areas. Really? Yeah. I don't know if I would have the best resume to be recruitable, but (laughs) it was a lot of fun. And at least I can see how the thread ties together. (laughs) So I'm curious, curious, how did the transition go from being an employee to being a freelancer to running a company? What was that like? Um, chaotic. <laughs> I, uh, I ask a lot of people who are much further along in business than me and, you know, like, when am I going to stop feeling like I'm flying by the seat of my pants and the universe? Never. Is, yeah, never. And so, never. right. So I guess now I have at least tempered expectations <laughs> that that will never stop. But yeah, it was different because as a freelancer, you know, it's just filling in the gaps for people. And to a certain extent, I still do that, but I'm trying to build a business at the same time, which is a different mindset. So um, I feel like really, you know, the first year you're kind of just, everything is being thrown at you and you're making decisions all the time and decision fatigue is a real thing. And so you just sort mm-hmm. of learn to move through it and accept this new reality. And then, you know, in year two, I think you're kind of becoming, you know, better at your systems and processes and filling in the gaps and really feeling like, um, at least it's a little more understandable, even if it's still a bit of a foreign world. And then I feel like this year and year three is when I'm really starting to develop my model more. And, you know, since I don't sell, um, lots of really small products like, you know, shoes or books or something like that, I have larger clients. So it takes more data points to really be able to look at, um, the spectrum as well. So I really feel like it's taken to this year when I'm like, oh, I really like working on this. I don't as much like working on this and really being able to tell those now that I've worked in it um, for a while. And so, yeah, it's been, I am not, I am always like very clear to say I'm a words girl, not a numbers girl. So even just learning that aspect of business has been um, something I've really been having to struggle through in the last year and be like, okay, this is, I got to get a handle on this because it's, it's a crack in my foundation and I can't let it get any bigger as I grow. Yeah. 
So if you like, cause I, my business is sort of like that as well. And like where you think you're, you're at at the end of year three, just wait till you hit like year 10 <laughs> and you really like to start hit your stride and you're like, Oh, I know what I'm doing and I know how to grow. And I like, you've got all the cracks filled in and you sort of like have an idea of what's going on and you really start to, uh, to, to rock it up there. So it, okay. Only yeah. never, another seven years to go. <laughs> Only another seven years of figuring it out. But you know, uh, I, I just, I, for one, I, I think that a lot of times entrepreneurs, we vastly overestimate what we can do in a year Absolutely. and we vastly yeah. underestimate what we can do in 10. Yes. Right. And we don't realize that, you know, you're not going to build something of significance in a year, mm-hmm. right? You're not even going to do it in five. It's probably going to take you a decade to build something of significance. Right. Um, and as long as you have that in your mindset, you're like, I'm going to put 10 good years into this and build something awesome. The next yeah. 10, 10, I think will grow wonderfully. Yeah. Um, and it helps with your expectations, I think, at least yeah. um, as well. well. Once you kind of take the expectation of it's, you know, it's just a constant adventure to be on and kind of stop fighting against the wave too. Um, I think that makes it a little better too. And just surrounding yourself with people that know better than you do. Yeah. So have you gotten to the point where you're starting to uh, hire staff and scale that way as well? I haven't. I hire contractors now and again for projects. You know, I'm one of those people, I haven't read it yet, but I'm really interested to read. Um, gosh, I forgot the author all of a sudden. The um, Company of One book. Um, mm. Because it is at this, again, in 10 years, seven years, whatever, things could change dramatically. But um, even as much as I want to scale and grow, I don't have the desire to build my own agency. Um, I've worked in agencies and they're fun and different, but I even like I've had interns. And so, um, I felt it was really important to, I wanted to kind of help shepherd a new generation of change makers and give them experience. And I know how, how exciting those experiences were, were for me and to have somebody to be able to teach you along the way. So I have used interns over the past two years. Um, but as far as employees, it's just something, you know, again, my mindset could change, but right now it's just not something I'm as interested in. Um, even my interns, like I only have them work five hours to 10 hours a week because I don't want to have to manage them all that much either. I want to be able to do my own thing and kind of have that more, um, aspect of control at this point. We'll see if that yeah. changes. Right now, I'm happy with it just one, and I only foreseeing it just one. Sort of like I live in an apartment now, and everybody's like, when are you going to get a house? And I'm like, I don't really have a desire to own one. I want a house. Yeah. I, don't, I don't have a house either. I've got four kids and a wife and no house. Right. You don't even have your own Wi-Fi at this point. You're doing great. Yeah, I don't even have my Wi-Fi. I mean, I do, but it doesn't not connect to anything because there's no signal over there. Um, but yeah, I totally get that. Um, I will submit that yeah. getting a VA okay will dramatically help your life okay <laughs> at some point um okay. may not be now but at some point yeah. and and you know think of it more like an assistant to help you get your stuff done and then like running an agency like employee style thing but a va okay. is very helpful because okay. cool. then you can get more things done yes so, always a good thing especially on that underestimating <laughs> portion yeah and you can a va can really fill in your uh fill in your gaps i'm like yeah you know uh, i for instance am terrible at like repetitive things or things that like are very detail oriented. Um, I'm definitely a big picture kind of guy and I'm like, okay, here's all the big picture stuff and here's the automations and here's all the processes that we're going to have happen. And then like someone, it like, then it needs to happen. Yeah. Um, and if I'm going to do it, I'm going to pull my eyeball, eyeballs out. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. So having, having some, someone to help with implementation is really helpful for me at least. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, 
in the vein of the superheroes, we talk about uh, superpowers, right? So it's what you do or build or offer this world that really helps solve problems for people. The things you use to help slay this world's villains, so to speak. If you could narrow down in all the things that you do for your clients, what you think your superpower is, what would yeah. that be? Um, writing has always been my superpower. Even before I was doing it full time, um, you know, my friend said, if you had one word to describe yourself, what would it be? And writer was it. So um, that's something that comes naturally to me and just p being able to put words to concepts. Um, the other thing is just um, being able to look at things holistically and see, you know, I think the reason a lot of people, including myself, and I'm sure you hire own consultants and things is just because you can't see the forest for the trees. And so being able to look at um, other people's things holistically in order to kind of help cut the clutter and let them grow and scale um, is a really beautiful thing. Um, and then just caring. <laughs> One of my friends is like, you're a marketer that cares. And, and it's because so many people, as I'm sure as you know, have such a bad uh, connotation of marketing. And so, you know, I, I keep in touch with all my clients and um, check in on them periodically, even if we haven't worked together in a couple of years and stuff like that. And I just, you know, when I think of that, or when I think of, see something and think of them, then I send it their way and, you know, just want to make sure that they're doing a great job. And, um, you know, I've always been in the positions I've been in even at companies and things I'm usually either the first person or one of the first people into um, into the role and so being able to help something grow from the ground up is really something I love as well which is why I work I like working with small organizations too um, so I think that's really fun and to, to be a champion in their corner um, so my my question has to do with the writing right so writing um, for those of us who are uninitiated, who aren't writers, um, writing comes in lots of different flavors, right? You know, the skills it takes to be a good copywriter are different than, you know, being someone who can write a good, you know, article or critique piece or tell a story, right? Those are all, they're all like, they're slightly different skills. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, how much of your writing skill do you think was natural and how much of it had to be developed in certain areas to run a business? Mm -hmm. um, that's a great question. Um, I've always been somebody who could tell a good story. So, you know, way back in the dark ages before we had um, social media and everything, I, um, I had my own sort of newsletter when something interesting would happen or I would take a really cool trip or whatever. And so I had a newsletter that would go out to friends and family called Porter Perspectives. And um, so I'd send that out. So people would always respond back like, oh, you're such a good storyteller. I felt like I was there with you. So I felt like that's something that's always stuck with me. And luckily that is in vogue right now. Um, so I've been able to carry that through. And then even when I worked at the PR firm, you know, a lot of people, um, otherwise at the agency had journalism or public relations or something, um, a specific degree to go with that, where I had more of a general business communications degree. Um, but I was still a strong writer. And so my boss at the time was very kind and considerate to encourage my style of writing, even though it looked different from a lot of the other just factual writing that was out there. Um, so when you compared my press releases with someone else's, you know, mine were a little more colorful. They were a little more storytelling. They weren't just like happy hours at this time, show up, there's free appetizers, you know, it wasn't. You're, just you're a fan of active voice writing, aren't you? Yes. I am. Um, yeah. And so 
so all of that translated well, and she really helped, you know, really let me keep that, that intact when she could have pushed me in a more journalistic standpoint. Um, but she liked my writing. And so my motto with writing has always been, I don't want to write anything I wouldn't want to read again. And so I'm not the person who's going to write textbooks and things that are along those lines that takes a different skill set that I don't have. And it's something that I'm just not interested in. So I wouldn't be very good at it. Um, and so I think when it came to copywriting, it was just, I ended up in all these different environments, what, you know, as we went through my repertoire of randomness in my career path, um, I ended up in all these different environments. And so there was the ability to change and adapt versus um, taking their brand voice and figuring out what key messages needed to say and how those could be made um, relevant to the person reading it and figuring out that adaptability that I learned at the PR agency that I took with me into these other various fields just always seemed to serve me well. So for me, it's actually, even though I try and, you know, always keep in touch with what's happening in copywriting or what's changing or even just sentence structures, how everything is much shorter paragraphs on the web now than it used to be, things like that. I try and keep up with those techniques, but really it's been a very intuitive process for me because I have been a writer for so long. It doesn't yeah. tax me the way it does some people. So this is a really interesting discussion for me because I think communication and writing is one of the most essential skills that we have as a business owner. Yes. And um, age of video, go go say yeah, it. yeah. You know, writing is writing is good, and even when it comes to getting on on stage and speaking or putting videos together, a lot of that is going to start with learning how to write, yeah. right? And um, I have my my eighty twenty for great writing even in, especially in copywriting, right? It's copywriting where you're going to convince someone to do something um, is, is two things. I'm curious to find these or if you just do this naturally or if it's something that you have to work on. Um, and the first one is the, um, the first person versus second person, right? So we tend to naturally, because we like to talk about ourselves when we write, we like to say I and me and we and that kind of stuff. And we refer to ourselves in our writing um, and so I'll encourage my clients when they write something is just take your paper after you're done and find every single time that you've written the word I or me or we or whatever, anything that includes you in it yeah. um, and circle it and then do the same thing in a different color every time you talk about the customer, right? You and, um, and that, that kind of stuff and circle them. And the, the, the one that says you should be bigger, there should be more of the other person. Um, and we make that mistake a lot. So that one's, that one's really big. And the other one is the active voice versus passive voice. And it's, this, it's, a, uh, it's a very nuanced skill. And I don't think a lot of people naturally write that way because it's something you have to learn to do unless you're just a natural writer, like it sounds like you are. But that's the whole, you know, the am, be, being, was, like anytime you have those verbs, those are stationary verbs, right? Like the, you know, the table is oak, right? It is big. There was a big table, right? Like there, there's no motion there. And when it comes to copywriting, you're trying to get someone to take action, mm -hmm. right? And so if all of the verbs you're using are not in motion, then you're not going to get the person who's reading them to take, right. you know, like take motion, yeah. So like I'll always go through this, you know, after you've gone through and done the first person to second person writing is go through and take all of your, your sentences and move them from the passive voice into the active voice. And you'll, you'll be surprised how much just those two things, if you learn to master those two things, you'll become a better copywriter than most copywriters. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, along those lines, I think that's one of the most interesting shifts in the last few years that we've seen for like, for example, about pages, um, you know, how to bring the reader into your about page. Like, it used to be a, an about page was just a copy and paste admission statement from a business plan, or it was just entirely about you. Um, but everything, just as to your point, everything is so customer facing now. It's about the reader. It's about how they come into your story. It's about how they participate and come along and especially in my industry where um, you want people to be either donating or buying something that has some some sort of social impact like they're doing it to also feel better about themselves and things so they really need to see themselves in your story and how they fit in and how their mission doesn't succeed without the reader and so that's a common shift I keep having to push people back on is like, even your about page isn't about you anymore. I mean, you're certainly mm -hmm. in there, but you're, you're, you're doing that same shift. It's like here, it's really about us, you know, this journey that we're on together and here's how we come, here's how we um, overlap and intersect and here's what our journey looks like. And it may come through in these services and products and everything like that. But really this whole thing is about us. And I think that's been, such a really unique and interesting shift in the last few years um, as far as copywriting and I, it's really fun. Are you a uh, are you a fan of Orson Scott Card? That is. So Orson Scott Card is the author of uh, Ender's Game which is um, yeah which is I believe today still it's the most successful sci-fi novel in history. It sells out its printing every year and has since 1978. Um, so really, really good. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. But one of the uh, things he does in all of his books is at the end of the book, he has a chapter that he writes that's not in the story. It's just him pontificating about life. Um, and, you know, he's a, he's a really successful author. And I, I like what he thinks. And one of the things he says in his books is that writing a story is only writing half a story, right? You know, so you write half a story and then the reader reads the story and in their head you end up with the full story like you like it's not it's not realized until someone reads it. And I think one of the mistakes that we make in business is we don't realize that we only have like you can only build half a business. Right. Until someone buys something and engages with your product and does something with you, then that's when you actually have you have a business. It becomes realized when the customer is part of it. Um, and I think what's happening is copywriting and storytelling is just catching up to the reality like the reality is that it is about us it's about the relationship between you and the customer yeah. and and making that sort of part of part of what we're doing yeah because again i think that's part of the differentiating factor of um we have so many options now you know you can go anywhere you know search amazon go to the grocery store anything and you have so many options so if i have if I can find a brand that speaks to me and relates to me and like I feel like I know them and understand them and I fit in with them, um, whether it's one aspect or if they're small and you know the founder and stuff like that, then um, those are always going to be the ones that appeal to you over just the general run of the yeah. middle of the everyday thing. <laughs> that reminds me for whatever reason of uh, the my, <laughs> my favorite modern statistic is that uh, um, King Louis is you know i think it's like 250 maybe 300 years ago he was the king of france and he's famous for being the king who like every night for dinner would bring in 50 chefs and have 50 different meals prepared every night right wow. so 50 different meals and they say a uh, today a single mom on food stamps when the, she goes to the grocery store has more options than king louis did at, at dinner every night wow Right. You know, just to see, you know, how, how capitalism has sort of raised everyone out of poverty. But to your point, 
we have so many options, right? It doesn't matter where you fall on the spectrum, you have so many options. Mm -hmm. And um, we can we can choose the businesses that we're working with. And, um, you know, I said it, that's really what, what makes the difference. Yeah. So let me uh, move on and flip over to the other side of superpowers, right? So if your superpower is writing, um, the fatal flaw is the other side, right? Fatal is the other side of your superpower. You know, just like Superman had his kryptonite, your fatal flaw is something that you have struggled with in growing your business. And I'm curious, what do you think that is? And two, what have you been doing to combat it so that other people who might suffer from something similarly can learn from your experience? Yes. Oh, gosh, just one thing. I feel like I need to stretch out on a couch. <laughs> um, I think, one, I live inside my head a lot. Um, and so just getting caught up in that cycle. I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram. I'm a four. And so we're all feelings and all internalized. And um, so that gets me a lot. Um, I, you know, will go zero to 60 in 30 seconds when I think about something and, you know, I'm already off to the races with it. And so um, I get caught in that a lot, especially if it's a bad day. Um, and so that has been a problem with me, especially working um, on my couch all the time, just by myself. Um, so it's really easy to internalize and there's no one there to talk you off the metaphorical ledge and be like, yeah, it's not a big deal. And I'm like, but it feels like a big deal um, because I live in my feelings. And so that has been one. Um, the other, which I didn't even really know this was a thing for me until about a year ago, um, speaks to a little bit of something I already mentioned, but just money and my money mindset. And I didn't know I had issues um, with money before. And so I read, uh, you were a badass at making money last summer. And it was really fun and different. And like in that, I heard, I was also listening to a, a podcast that I listened to at the time. They were actually, they got me interested in the book because they were sort of doing their review of it. And they were talking about their own money mindsets and just things that had happened to them and how a lot of that is solidified when you're small and things like that. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know that that was a problem for me. Uh, you know, recognized I had, you know, issues one way or another with money, but um, didn't really know that how I was still stuck in them and how they were affecting me and the conversations that I heard and didn't hear as a kid and um, even just, you know, the people you surround yourself with and the way they talk about money or um, other entrepreneurs, like, you know, as you become an entrepreneur and kind of go down that journey, you learn and you meet more people in that space. But when I first started, I didn't have a lot of entrepreneur friends. Um, so even just the ways that people consciously and unconsciously communicate about money, like I just didn't know that was a thing for me until they started talking about their own issues. And I was like, well, that's an issue. I have that too. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Um, so that was one thing. So I feel like I've been working on that a lot over the past year. Um, and just sort of trying to deal with my own issues about that. I mean, even the, um, you know, on my business cards and on my website, I'm the chief do-getter, you know, when you start your own business, you get to make your, up your own title. And so chief do-getter is mine. And so it was like, money was always a means to an end for me. It wasn't something that you held on to. It was you held on to it long enough to get rid of it and it goes somewhere else. And so mm -hmm. just from that perspective. So really I've done a lot of work on that over the past year and still have a long way to go. But um, yeah, those, I would say those yeah. living inside my head and the money thing are two of my kryptonites. Money is really an interesting one too, because yeah. it, I don't think it 
it ever goes away, right? Like you just change which problems you're currently dealing with, yeah. right? Because I know early in my business, my problem with money was I didn't think I was worthy of it, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, you're like, I'm doing good services and doing things for people and I would charge them nothing for it, like pennies, like not even enough to feed my family kind of thing. And that doesn't do great for growing your business. <laughs> <laughs> right? so, family, yeah. <laughs> yeah and so you get you get over you get over that and you start realizing you need to charge what you're worth and then you start getting good at those things and you get to the point where you're making good money and you're like oh and then you're like I've got these financial goals and I'm going to hit them and then you realize you get to a certain point and you're like I don't really need that money so you're like now I have to find another motivation for other things so like it, it, I, th I feel like it just it just changes like wherever you're at in your business your relationship with money it's always going to be a thing you have to, to work on Totally. Right, yeah. Especially if you're continually having, you know, if a, a business continues to grow and scale, which we hope it all does, you could be reaching new levels of money that you've never been around in your life. So what mm -hmm. do you do with that? It's like, you know, um, all the statistics around so many people that win the lottery and then end up poor again, because you just don't have any concept of what that actually yeah. looks like in practice and what to do with it. Yeah. I wish I had that problem, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, they say before you win the lottery, you have money problems. After you win the uh, lottery, you have money management problems. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I completely agree with that. Yeah, it's it's so interesting on so many levels. Yeah, so, you know, I'm just, I'm still, I, not to discourage you, but I think that's always <laughs> going to be a thing you deal with because <laughs> I'm still yeah, dealing yeah. with it. And, you know, I every time I hit a new like revenue level in my business and I'm like, I've gotten to a point now where like my revenue levels, in my business are more than anything I, any of my family members have ever had, which is like, I just have to figure it out, which is cool. But at the same time, you're like, you know, I don't, I don't really know how, how to deal with it and what to do with it. So you're just, you're just learning as you go and picking things up. Yeah. Um, well, and like you know, charging what you're worth. It's a great statement, but if you have worthiness issues or, don't know anything about pricing or anything of that, then charging what you're worth could be practically nothing as well. It's sort of all relative. Um, until yeah. you, again, trying to figure um, out things. That's one of those things too that I struggled with is like, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with this, charging what you're worth is you have to actually be worth something. Right. Like you have to be worth charging for. So yeah. you have to develop a skill set, right? And like listening to your story, you spent a number of years developing skill sets, right? Yeah. Um, so you're actually worthy of, of, of charging for the skills that you've, you've developed over the years. And I think uh, a mistake I see happen a lot in this, in, in particularly in our space, in, you know, the agency space and stuff like that, where people are like, I want to start an agency. And like, I'm going to run, you know, just as an example, mm -hmm. Facebook ads. And, you know, they're like, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm just going to go out and start running Facebook ads for companies. And what should I charge for it? And they're like, well, do you know how to run a Facebook ad? No, not yet. <laughs> it's like, well, then yeah. maybe you should learn that first. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, the other side of the so, coin is it's also sometimes hard to charge for things that come so easily to you yeah. uh, or that you can do quickly or that you have fun with. You know, we also have this um, idea that, and you know, this is another thing I still struggle with as well, that um, work should be hard and it should be, you know, I'm charging because of the effort and the exhaustion and, you know, all of that whenever um, it, it's harder. Sometimes I think we just overlook our own gifts. So yeah. much. Like if you didn't break a sweat, you can't charge for it. Right. Yeah. I did this in an yeah. hour. I heard a guy um, 
at a conference speaking that recently and he was like i this guy paid for a consulting hour it was like 700 dollars, and he said oh i realized in the first like 30 seconds what his problem was and had the you know had it fixed in like two minutes and he was like oh well you know we still have all this time left so what do you want to talk about and the guy was like that's all i needed and he was like okay. Okay. you know send me the invoice and the guy was like i but i was i was only with you for like two minutes of the 60 and the guy was like yeah i know but you fixed the problem so assuming like the guy was begging him for an invoice and he could not figure out how to turn it over because it was so easy and he figured it out and it didn't take yeah. him any time at all so that's what, what i tell people is though is when when you have when you hear yourself saying wow that was easy that's an indication that you're in your zone of genius yeah. right and that's the stuff you should be doing right because yeah. other people will pay for that because if it comes easy to you chances are it doesn't come easy to someone else Definitely. And that's where you can come in and make a difference for them. Yeah, absolutely. So, cool. So I talk about your common enemy, right? So common enemy is just in terms of your clients, right? So if you could, when some, you hire, someone hires you and brings you on, if you could like wave your magic wand and remove one thing from your client's life that you know is holding them back, holding back your relationship, holding back the results you can get for them, mm -hmm. right? What do you think that is something that you run into regularly that you wish you could just make go away? Um, I think part of it is just the, what is marketing mindset or having such a negative connotation with it. Like, you know, I, I don't want people coming to me because it's something they really dislike doing. And that's why a lot of people come to you because either it's confusing or they don't like doing it or they don't understand it and it feels manipulative. And so, um, getting past that hurdle, I think is just one thing. The other thing of that is just making it understandable and executable. So somebody probably also, or whatever they've been reading or learning, or however they picked up the information they also thought it had to be super complicated so um, you know like I said I work with a lot of really small organizations so they have every social media account under the Sun and all the blogs and all the things and there's just like 1900 moving pieces to their strategy when I'm like well why don't you just do these things this is what you like doing this is what you can put on hold this is what somebody else can take care of um, and so really just help simplifying and I actually did a uh, audit with a client today and streamline was the name of the game they were like everything just there's so much it's just exploding everywhere we have all these media channels we have all these documents we have all this stuff and it's confusing our people and it's confusing us in-house and so neither one of those is a good thing so somewhere along the way we just you know we always think more is better or in the marketing world somebody told them or they read a book by somebody super successful that said they needed to be on youtube but they absolutely can't stand video and so now it's just this hurdle that they feel like they have to overcome and why would i make somebody do something that they just will hate doing yeah those are kind of the two sides of that coin for marketing in them yeah marketing is an interesting thing right because it, it, you have you have the people who think of marketing like used car salesmen yeah right and marketing is it's a uh uh i don't know it's a sanitized term for persuasion yeah right and persuasion is a neutral tool right you know you can use that for good or evil right and you know that's where you get you can either persuade people for your own benefit and that is manipulation or for their benefit and that's leadership. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think the struggle a lot of people have is they think marketing that it's capable of being used for manipulation. So they don't like it at all mm -hmm. without realizing that the tool itself is neutral. Right. right. And it's what you do with it that makes a difference. Right. Um, and that's that, that's that mindset that you have to work on overcoming with your clients is that 
marketing is a neutral tool and you can use it as particularly when you're working with organizations that are like we, we're cause focused and we want to do good things and they think in their head marketing equals manipulation you're like we have to break that because that's not true right marketing can be leadership right you can help other people with it um, and you have to do good marketing if you want to change lives for the better right, right. so like I, I can totally see how that's a thing that you would run into a lot yeah especially in the nonprofit world for sure They're yeah like, okay you know, we're at our wits end, we're ready to start marketing. And I'm like, well, surprise, you're already marketing. Let's talk about how to do it better. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the complexity thing is definitely a, uh, um, particularly today, I think probably more so than ever before, right? If you go back like 30 years ago, it was like the yellow pages and the newspaper. And like, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, unless you were a big multinational conglomerate, you couldn't afford TV or radio. Absolutely. So... <laughs> <laughs> so but like nowadays there's like a bajillion channels right and it's like every other day there's new ones right like what, what is it tiktok is taking and tiktok all the time and i don't even know what it is like it's some sort of small little app it's i shouldn't say that i i know what tiktok is but like it's it's the uh <laughs> you know it's got access to millions of people and it just showed up a few you know a little while ago right um so, and you have to like figure out and choose where are the places that a make sense for my business and sense for me to put time and effort in as a business owner, as a nonprofit to actually like get my information out. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, I think when it comes to simplifying a lot, one of the conversations I have all the time with my clients is like, where are your people? Right. Mm -hmm. Cause that's what matters more is right. it's not which or being on all the networks. And I think, I'm curious, do you think if, if the problem is sometimes is they don't know who their people are or where they are. So they're like, will be everywhere. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't actually know who my people are. So if we just talk to everyone, then, you know, eventually our people will hear us. Yeah. So what are, what are your thoughts on? It's just so hard to narrow an audience too, you know, especially when you're, um, for anybody really, but especially in a cause space when you're thinking, but everybody needs to help. Everybody needs to care about this issue or this is doing something good. Why wouldn't everybody want to be a part of this? You know, last, um, I think it was last year, I was at a conference and, um, I met a woman or I was over, I was listening to a conversation of a woman who's, they were sitting next to me and she said, and somebody said something, the talk had just finished about knowing your audience and everything. And, and she said, okay, I've been working on my audience. Like she was really building up to this. And she was like, I've, I've narrowed it down. I'm it's women. And that was like where she had narrowed it to. And that was sort of the stopping point for the moment. And she was going to go back and think about it after that like who it could be because she's and she's felt fairly certain it was women and so she'd narrowed it to you know that <laughs> and that was the the stopping point for that and so yeah it's so hard to think about excluding somebody from something that so we care so deeply about and is so passionate so trying to think this isn't for somebody is is really hard to wrap your mind around to begin with um and then it just sort of goes from there yeah. Yeah, bless her heart. I hope she's figured it out by now. Um, it's such an interesting thing too. You have to work on learning to exclude people, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that this, that exercise of learning who to exclude and who you're talking to actually broadens your audience, right? And in in uh, I I went to Bible college, right? So I got preacher training, and one of the things they taught us in preacher training was to speak to an individual right you talk to one person in the audience 
And it was just like a technique for learning how to talk in a, uh, to a large group of people is you're, you're still, you're only ever talking to one person. It doesn't matter how many people are in the room, you're talking to one person. And they proved it in an exercise we did. It was like, if you look into an audience of people and you ask one person, you look into their eyes and you ask them a question, don't have them answer, but then just ask the audience, who did I ask that question to? The person you were looking at and a whole circle of people around them will all raise their hand, you were talking to me. Right. Right. And if you repeat the exercise and you look between two people, so you're not actually looking at anyone and you ask the question and then ask the audience who you asked the question to, nobody will raise their hand. Interesting. Right? Because you weren't actually speaking to someone. Yeah. So if, if you don't know who you're talking to, if you're not speaking to an individual, then you're not going to get anyone. You're not, you're not going to be speaking to anyone. So you have to pick your person. Um, and that actually is what's going to allow you to, to have an audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, it's, it, it's hard work, but it's got to be done. And um, yeah, I think that's probably another reason, you know, a lot of people don't make it is they haven't really defined who they're talking to. Um, or even, you know, in my space and in your space, even as service providers, it's also like, much like you asked at the very beginning of this, you know, who comes to you and why do they come to you? Um, and so I have other people that I know that are great graphic designers or copywriters or something like that, but they don't have any sort of specialty. And so if somebody needs a copywriter, they might, you know, they might get referred that way. But by and large, sometimes I'm like, I still don't know who to refer you to. And so, um, you know, it's so important to be known in your space for what you want to do and be known, you know, for doing that well. Like I said, I'm not, you know, if somebody's like, oh, I need a, you know, textbook written, then I'm not the gal for you. Um, you know, I'll help you find somebody that is, but that's not my area of expertise. And that's not why somebody comes to me and, you know, wouldn't you want somebody that does that and does that well, um, rather yeah. than somebody that can write well. And that's, that's a really a cool point too, is like when you get known for something and you know who your person is, right, then it, that you become a really easy person to refer to, right? So like, I don't have anyone in my network now other until today that I could refer nonprofit marketing work to. It mm-hmm. would just be like, like, and I've had a couple come to me and they're like, I want to do this kind of work. And I'm like, I, I don't know anyone, right? Yeah. Like, they're like, can't we just do general stuff? I'm like, the kind of stuff that I do is is very direct response and i know for a fact because we've tried it that a lot of your nonprofits, if you get into like hardcore direct response take action now kind of thing your audience just shuts off yeah. right that's not my it's not my thing um so so it's it's cool to, you know when you when you're known for something it's easier to refer and mm-hmm. you know i got a friend of mine who works in the real estate space and he's the like he's like one of the number one marketers for real estate agents mm-hmm. it's really easy to refer business to every time someone's like I got a real estate company. I'm trying to grow the business. I'm like, I know the guy you need to talk to. Like you can talk to this guy, (laughs) you know, really easy versus the person who's like, you know, I just help people with marketing. You're like, okay. Like lots of people do that. (laughs) Yeah. There's so many facets to it. Or I was having one of my friends is starting a business and it's a really cool business. And I think it's going to do really well. And the first idea he came to me for, it was a narrowly defined audience still, narrowly defined but still lots and lots of people and then when he sent me like his um he had written like a sample newsletter and some other things and he was like what do you think and so just a couple of weeks later it wasn't directed at that audience it was at a much broader scope for so it's a very small subset of like health and fitness and so whenever he revised everything it was just written to health and fitness and i was like 
this is cool, but it's not written to this audience anymore. And now you've just opened yourself up to a million competitors where hardly anybody was competing with you in this other space. And you could really make a name for yourself over here. And there's still a huge market for it. And nobody's filling that market. And if you go in this direction, then you're just competing against lots and lots of other Everyone. people having to gain market share. Yeah, that will be years and years of work. Yeah, absolutely. So if your common enemy is the thing you fight against, your driving force is the thing that you fight for, right? So just like Spider-Man fights for your New York or Batman fights for Gotham, or Google fights to index all of the world's information for us, what is it that you fight for with your company? Yeah, um, I fight to be a voice for the little guys in the cause space. Um, I've always been a fan of small businesses. I love working with the big guys. Um, they're lots of fun too. And, you know, it's really cool when you get to work with, you know, hero organizations and everything. But, um, you know, my stance, I've always worked in and for small um, nonprofits and for-profits and, you know, my kind of stance has always been um, from starting to signify part of the reason I wanted to do that was that there's lots of cause marketing agencies. There's lots of, you know, general marketing agencies that will work with, you know, huge organizations, but nobody was really fighting for the little guy. And that's who I really wanted to help because those are the businesses I love. They're the people I know. Um, you know, Signify was really a way for me to professionally support the people and causes I was already supporting personally. And I thought if nobody helps them on the front end and they can't get their marketing and communications and they can't, you know, one of my stances is you don't have to um, be a big organization to look and sound professional. And so, you know, if, you, if, I'm, if somebody's donating to you or buying something from you, then they still have to look professional, whether they're doing, you know, a hundred grand a year or two million grand or two million a year. And so it's always, you can still really level the playing field with words, which I like that as well. Um, but I thought, yeah, if nobody helps them on the front end, then how will they ever get to be one of the big guys? And so that's yeah. sort of where Signify has always stood. I call those uh, um, unconscious trust signals, right? So the things like they're, their words, their typography, their pictures and their colors, like those four things. If you can nail those, you can look like a multi-million dollar business, right. right? And if you're using them consistently in your marketing and your branding and all the things that you're putting out to the world, um, you can compete on a playing field that, you know, you couldn't have competed on in the past. So it's, it's, it's a, uh, um, but it's, it's interesting. Like it takes a skill set to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of business owners are like, I, they just want to do the thing that they do or help yeah. the cause that they help. So that's where you can come in and be like, Hey, I can help you put you on a playing field um, and be able to compete there where you might not be able to otherwise. So that's really cool. Yeah. It's amazing to me that you can, um, you know, go through and get entire nonprofit degrees or go through school for nonprofit management or something like that. And they never teach you anything about marketing. You know, you may learn some fundraising skills along the way, but, um, but yeah, so much of that is still left out. And so a lot of them just don't have some of these basics, you know, that some of the rest of us would consider um, starting from. And so they just, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you get there. So, um, so I'm trying to be there for them on the front end. Yeah. I, uh, I, for the life of me, don't understand why every business degree or anything that even is associated with business isn't taught like basics, like what's a call to action, Yeah. right? Like you should, you should know what a call to action is if you have a degree in anything related to business. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's another reason it's fun to have um, interns and stuff too, is just, you know, it's also hard to turn a ship that big at universities and things. So there's just little things that I take for granted that I learn all that, you know, that even just like I mentioned before, just the paragraph size and email newsletters on websites and things like that. And I, you know, I get these initial writing samples from interns and they're just these huge paragraphs and chunky and they're just jargon and all of this stuff. So, um, you know, even teaching them to be more marketable themselves on the front end at the beginning of their career too, is a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Learning how to break paragraphs, shorter sentences, like physically shorter, like, you know, if you get, get 37, 40 characters across, break to a new line. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. and, and you got to take the jargon and put it into, what is it like third or fifth grade reading level yeah. for the most part. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it sounds like that would be easy to do. It's really not, right? It's, it's harder to be brief and simple than it is to be long and verbose. <laughs> Yes, I, I was actually telling um, a graphic designer friend about that the other day. There are multiple times when I've read through entire websites and didn't know what they did, and I would have to click over to Twitter and to their Twitter bio, because when they only had a few characters, they could explain it succinctly, and yet I was reading their entire websites not clear on what they did at all. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it's a big problem that marketing people have. So want to move on just a little bit and talk about something really practical. Right, and I call this the hero's tool belt. So, you know, maybe you have a big magical hammer like Thor or a bulletproof vest like your neighborhood police officer, or maybe you just really like the way uh, Evernote helps you organize everything. What are some of the practical tools you use on an everyday basis to actually deliver the work that you do for your clients, right? Whether that's client management or, you know, um, the, the product delivery, deliver, what am I saying? the deliverables that you actually give to your clients? Like what are some of the tools you use on an everyday basis to make your business run? Um, G Suite. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I, I love that place. If Google went away, I would be in big trouble. I would just close my doors and sit in the dark, I think. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, G Suite, everything lives in Google Drive or Dropbox um, for a lot of that. Um, Asana is sort of my right arm. I use Asana all day, every day for just managing tasks. That's also how I manage my interns. Um, it's a great free tool. And I use that a lot. I use things like um, HelloSign for email signatures and contracts because who on earth still thinks it's a great idea to scan and send documents back and forth? I don't know when there's- I have no idea. I don't know. It's the worst. Um, yeah, it's the worst. And so, um, yeah, those are some of my favorites. Evernote, you mentioned Evernote. I keep everything in Evernote. My, uh, my favorite thing about G Suite, like, and I, I actually don't even know how other people deal with this. Like, when, especially with writing stuff, because we do a lot of copywriting in our agency, where like emails and homepages and about pages and product copywriting. And like the old way of doing it was like you have a Word document and then you're gonna ship this Word document to four different people and they're all gonna make comments on it and you're gonna get them all back and someone's have to figure out which goes where and yes. before the end of the one document, you're ready to, you know, yeah. um, mind or explode. Your edits in in time, so then you're submitting a second, somebody's sending you a completely different version that's not up to date, I know. And then it gets lost and there's like 15 different versions and this is just one document, let alone four or five different documents spread across 15 different clients, you know, so we're like 50 documents in. And for, for me, it's like the Google Drive document is like, it's, it's, the, it's the document and everyone can work in the one doc document and it never changes and you don't send documents anywhere. You just send them a link. Like, here's the link. 
edit it in here, do the things that you need to do. If you have comments, put them in there, we'll work on it. Um, that was life-changing for, for us. And we've been using Google Documents since it came out, right, like 10 years ago. Um, and I don't know, that's, that's, my, that's one of my hero tools is I'm with you, G Suite, Google Drive. It's I like have, the best. Yeah, I have a Google Voice just so I don't have to give out my cell phone number a lot of times to people. So that's my office line. Um, I know. Yes, I do the same thing. I tell people my Google Voice number. I, I secretly call it my whore number um, <laughs> because I will whore it out to anyone. It doesn't matter who or what. Like if you want a phone number, you're getting my Google Voice number because it has office hours and I can filter it and <laughs> set up rules. And, and it I sends your messages to email, which is just so lovely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just, just get those things and then you can, you know, the only people who have my cell phone number are family and clients. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Especially yeah. for me who um, works from home. So, you know, like I have a PO box, I have Google voice, so I don't have to constantly, you know, give out my personal details. Um, makes it great from that standpoint as well. Um, yeah, and Canva, Canva is another one I can't live without. Yeah, I like Canva. I don't use it much because I grew up in uh, in Photoshop and yeah. some of the other ones, and I have like certifications in those apps, so I'm really comfortable with them. Yeah. But the, uh, um, I definitely have started putting things into Canva for the same reason that you use Google Drive. It's because if it's in Canva, they can log in and look at it, and we can yeah. make changes and do other things. And I'm like, oh, it's you know, because if you send them a Photoshop document, they right. can't open it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Nor do so. they know even how to open it or where the buttons are or anything else. Yeah, it's been many years since I used the Adobe Suite. Um, and yeah, so I didn't really keep up with that after a number of years, when I, especially when I moved into just PR and marketing and that wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't a thing you did all the time. Yeah, so Canva's been great. Um, yeah, just yeah. all these little tools that we have available to us. So that's why I'm like, it's so easy to look and sound professional. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, oh, how are things, you know, like they, it looks like I have this big team over here. I'm like, it's just me and my interns. I use the term we because it's me and my interns, but <laughs> that's why <laughs> you, you think use, it doesn't sound professional. Do you use a Gen M for interns? I don't. I use um, either personal connections or um, internships.com or handshake.com. Have you heard of Gen M? Gen M is for returns we've we've used it a couple of times but you you hire an intern for a couple of months i can't remember exactly how it works but anyways it's worth looking into jenim.co for uh, intern stuff since you use them regularly um yeah so that's cool yeah. so two more questions we'll be right back are you tired of trying to write webinars that don't consistently convert how would you like to have a webinar that effortlessly created sales in your online business? You can. Introducing the Webinar Alchemy Workshop. Webinar Alchemy Workshop is an online masterclass that will help you write incredibly persuasive webinars for your online courses quickly and easily. Using what you learn in this class, you can build a webinar that educates your entire audience while still creating sales. For a limited time, you can purchase this masterclass for only $7, and you'll get the exact framework I've personally used to help my clients sell more than a million dollars worth of online coaching and training just over the last year. Simply text the word ALCHEMY, A-L-C-H-E-M-Y, to 444-999, and I'll send you all the details. The music is by Purple Planet Music. Visit www.purple-planet.com. And now, back to the show. One here is uh, your own personal heroes, right? Frodo had Gandalf, Luke had Obi-Wan Kenobi, Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad. Who were some of your heroes? 
were they real-life mentors, speakers, or authors, peers who were just a couple years ahead of you, and how important were they to what you've accomplished so far with your organization? Um, yeah, probably a lot of people that you've never heard of, because um, they're just my own personal heroes. Um, I've been, one of the common pieces of advice I give, and something I've been um, lucky enough to have myself, is to have mentors um, for more than a decade now and so I think that's super important um, just to have somebody who speaks into you from that standpoint and can give you feedback and guidance and um, somebody else to tell you what you're worth <laughs> sometimes. Um, so yeah the, a lot of my heroes are just the people who have said yes to investing in me personally over the years as um, either personal, um, personal mentors, professional mentors, um, that kind of thing and then you know a lot of my heroes are too just the people that the whole you know handful up to 10 or a dozen people that i started my business for um i started with them them in mind and so for even when i write my own content and everything and thinking about audience it's really easy to think about who my audience is because i knew them um and so they were the people that i started my business for and so i you know, picture them in my mind when I'm writing things and when I have the discussions with people and, you know, a lot of my content is based on recent discussions I've had with somebody and if they have this question, somebody else does. And so, um, you know, those people who are working on a very small scale, trying to solve very big problems and trying to push those rocks up a hill, those are a lot of my heroes. Um, and then, you know, I think probably some of the you know, a lot of authors, um, I love to read. I usually listen to books um, because I'm a very slow reader. Um, so a lot of my heroes, and I go to, like, if somebody would just pay me to go to conferences, I would also be a very happy, happy person. So a lot of my heroes are just people that <laughs> I go to conferences and listen to, and Atlanta's a great conference town. Um, and so, yeah, reading books and going to conferences and listening to people speak. And so a lot of those people who are on stages too, there have been many, many of those people over a year. And I used to have a very long commute. It was over an hour each way at my last job. So I would get through like 50 audiobooks a year. Um, so I do miss That's that. awesome. I know. Yeah, I, I am a uh, fan of the audiobooks as well. Uh, mostly in my, it's my son's fault because um, he really... Re what do you call it? I, like him and I are both auditory learners uh -huh. and like it never dawned on me that you could like listen to books because I'm also a pretty good reader but my son was like wait there's audiobooks I'm never reading another word in my life. Yeah, right and I'm he not. I had to train myself <laughs> to be um but it was a matter of I just wasn't I really wanted to learn but I wasn't taking the time to read because I just frankly don't enjoy it very much and I'm slow at it um probably have some slight dyslexia or something too and so it was like well if i want to learn then this is the way it's going to happen so um so i sort of had to train my brain to pick it up a little bit better um than probably i normally would because i would normally be more of a visual person but yeah it was a great way to make it happen and yeah my uh my son will pick up a, he's still into the fiction stuff but he'll pick up a fiction book and listen to it on his iPod and he never wears headphones. So like, you know, after the sixth run through of all eight <laughs> Harry Potter books, I was like, you're going to have to get a new book, son, because I really like Harry Potter and you're ruining it by listening to it on repeat. <laughs> so uh, anyways, I, I just follow him around. Those are yeah. like the greatest audiobooks in history. I got him a uh, subscription to Audible uh -huh. um, for Christmas this last year. So he gets a new book every month for, yeah. from Audible. And so 
but which was I tell him it was for him but really it was for me because I wanted him to stop listening to the same couple of books on repeat yeah. <laughs> and so I'm like now I get to hear new stuff you know that he's listening to around the house yeah absolutely uh, cool so last question um I want to bring it home for our listeners a little bit and talk about your guiding principles, right? Top one or two um, actions or principles you use every day that you think contribute to the success and influence your company enjoys. Maybe something you wish you had known when you started your company three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of the three, um, the three for Signify really are, um, Creativity, curiosity, and generosity. Um, those are sort of the three that I kind of live and work by um, when it comes to Signify because I think being a, um, just a curious person and always wanting to know how things work and how they're put together um, and looking at things holistically and wanting that continuous, like wanting to learn and grow and know more, um, I think has served me well in a lot of ways. And that's part of what's taken me down, you know, those multiple winding roads. Um, so, you know, I really value, you know, friends as well. A lot of my close friends are people that are continually trying to improve themselves um, from that standpoint too. So that's sort of how I look at, um, curiosity, creativity, which can come in so many different ways. But again, it's sort of, especially when you're working with small organizations or, you, you know, being on staff in small organizations, you learn how to do a lot with a little. And I think that being resourceful skill and being able to use resources, creativity, creativity, creatively, um, being a writer who's creative, um, loving beauty and art and all of those things. Again, I think it's, um, it's a great mindset to have and serves me well in a lot of ways. And then of course, generosity um, fits in line with what I do. And so can also take on a lot of forms, um, which is what I try and also stress to people who are very new in their philanthropy journey. If they're a small business or a solopreneur, like you know, like if you have five minutes and zero dollars, I can show you how to make a difference for somebody. And so it really is, you know, that's sort of the creativity coming back into play as well, but the, um, the generosity aspect as well. And so I think there's so many ways to be generous and um, from a company standpoint, a personal, personal standpoint, and just what we're seeing in the world and um, everything, I think we're just constantly looking for people who are full of hope and generous and, you know, want to see others succeed and so i think you know that's a great thing for um my company to work through as well absolutely those are uh good principles right so creativity generosity and what was the last one curiosity, curiosity? yeah curiosity i like the curiosity one that's a good uh, a good principle to like be curious about new things and whatnot it's also well, a good copywriting technique all sound similar <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> we know things I so, do love it's a secret it's a secret we know things uh, yeah alliteration is wonderful it helps you a mnemonic device to help people remember things yes. so it's uh it's good that way so last thing I, I do on the show, I do this every time, it's called the Hero Challenge. Hero Challenge is really simple. So do you have someone in your life or in your business network that you think has a good entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come on the show and share their story? Ooh, okay. Um, gosh, how to pick just one. Let's see. You know, the interesting thing is to, you ask me in five minutes or in five days and it'll change every single time as well. Um, 
I'm going to say, I just had a great conversation with her. So I'm going to say my friend, Ashley, um, she has a nonprofit, um, called love, not lost. Um, and so they, she, her daughter died of a terminal illness when she was like two years old. Ashley was a photographer, um, needed a reason to get out of bed every day. So she started working and, um, then she started just out of the kindness of her heart, donating photo shoots to other people who were going through tough situations. And so that's kind of how love not lost came to be. And, um, they provide free photo sessions for people facing terminal illness. And so they get a beautiful photo session that's donated. They get a book. Um, and then part of the thing that came out of that, which she never anticipated was so many people come to her asking her how to deal with grief or how to deal with, you know, how to be the caregiver or how to have conversations with people facing a ter ter terminal illness. And so now she's kind of adding that to her portfolio and even um, talking to businesses and things like that. And so, um, you know, she's had a model that's shifted and changed and um, gone to for-profit then to non-profit and kind of is working through all that and just has a really interesting story and she's a great person. Yeah, awesome. I think I've actually heard of Love Not Lost. So that's a, that's a, a cool business. I look forward to, uh, you know, see, reaching out and seeing if we can connect with her. Yeah. So, awesome. Last thing, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, um, really appreciate it. Where can people find you if they're interested in working with you? They have a nonprofit, something like that. And more importantly, who is the right type of person to reach out if um, they want to reach out and, uh, and, and work with you? Yeah. So I have a very atypical URL. It's um, signify.solutions. So not signify.solutions.com. That's not a thing. Um, signify.solutions. And that's because I did not have the $20,000 to buy signify.com. <laughs> and all of the variations were taken under the sun. So I was like, I provide solutions for people. I'm going to go with it. So signify.solutions. And you can connect to me through all of the social channels and um, everything through there. Um, so that's the easiest place to find me. The three types of people that I work with are, of course, nonprofits, um, for-profit social impact companies, and um, solopreneurs and small businesses who are ready to start giving back but don't know where to start. Awesome. Yeah. So I really enjoyed having you on the show, Christy. Um, it's been, been a really um, entertaining and enlightening conversation. Um, and if you're listening to this and you are in that place in your business where you want to start adding philanthropy, I know that was where I was with my business, um, or if you're a nonprofit, definitely reach out to Christy. Um, I mean, if you've been listening this far, you know, she knows what she's talking about. So hopefully, uh, um, you'll get some people talking to you from this. Do you have any final words of wisdom you'd like to leave our audience with before we, uh, end the recording? Um, I would just say to get out there and do good. We all need to see more people doing good things. So whatever that looks like to you, whether it's personally or in your business, then get out there. And if you just want to send me an email and tell me what you did, then I'm happy to hear from you that way too. Awesome. You heard her. Get out there and do good, guys. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Christy. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs>